18. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to do that afterwards. Yeah. So 1 Kings 18, where we're going to be, and we're going to have a missionary letter afterwards. Uh, but just a reminder, just kind of recap what we've been looking at in 1 Kings. Again, Elijah and Ahab had their first interaction. And, you know, <laughs> this book is it's awesome. It's a, it's a really interesting book, I think. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of interesting things happen. And uh, remember, Elijah and Ahab had their initial interaction. And then uh, Elijah called on the Israelites to choose either the God of heaven or the God Baal. Remember? And he said, listen, you need to stop hopping between two opinions. You need to just choose which God you're going to serve. And what a great message that is for all of us, isn't it? Look, instead of messing around with idols and uh, doing our own thing uh, and then kind of hopping back and forth between God and our idol, let's just choose who we're going to serve, right? Choose the Lord. Uh, and that's really what Elijah wanted these people to do. Uh, but tonight, we're going to see again the awesomeness of our great God. And man, when I was reading this and studying this week, I could not help but think, man, we serve an awesome God. We really do. Our God is awesome. He is so far above all other gods, there's no God like Him, and we'll obviously see that. Uh, but let's look at, uh, at 1 Kings chapter 18, and look at verse 23. And we're going to read down to verse 40. And it says in verse 23, let them, this is Elijah, by the way, speaking. He says, let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under it, and I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first. For ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from the morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancelets uh, till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as uh, great as would contain the two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bullock in pieces, and laid him on the wood, and said, Fill four barrels with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar. And he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the sacrifice of the evening sacrifice 
uh, that uh, Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and slew them there. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much that you are such a wonderful and awesome God. We thank you, God, that you're a holy God, and uh, Lord, we know that you are the only God. I pray, Lord, as we look in your word and and we study it tonight, that you'll help us to see that truth, and that you'll help uh, everyone here to be committed followers of the one true God. I pray that you'll help us to get what we need tonight to live out our faith day in and day out, from Monday Uh, through Sunday, Lord, and uh, just give us what we need tonight. And I pray that you'll be with us. And Lord, if there's somebody here tonight that's never trusted on you as the one true God, I pray that tonight they would do that, and that they would be saved. And we we love you, Lord. We thank you again for who you are and what you've done. In your holy and precious name, amen. I've heard a lot of times of stories about people that have to deal with counterfeit money, and maybe you have. I know we've got some bankers in here. Um, you know, I've heard stories about people, you know, they, they, they bring a $100 bill to the bank or several hundred dollars bills to the bank only to find out to their shock and dismay that it was a counterfeit. And, um, you know, maybe somebody gave it to them for whatever reason, and uh, they, they were surprised and, and they were upset about uh, the fact that they had a counterfeit. And, and, you know, that right there reminds me a lot about what we see in our text tonight. Because these Israelites, they followed after a false god. And they would find out that there was only one true God, and they would find out very quickly and very uh, realistically that they were serving a counterfeit God. They were serving a a false God. And you know, there are many that are walking this earth that's going to experience that same truth one day. You know that? Uh, There's many people, you know, that reject God in pursuit of something else. And one day they're going to find themselves standing before the almighty God of heaven. And to their shock and dismay, they're going to find out that their God was worthless. And the God of heaven was the one true God. And can you imagine? You just think about about what it would be like. I mean, just the fact that, listen, if you're saved and you get to stand before God, that's going to be a fearful thing in itself. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be like, whoa! (laughs) Can you imagine being lost? And having to stand before God and answer for your sins when you don't have an answer? Again, it's a fearful thing. Uh, so that's what we, we're, kind of, we're going to kind of see as we look into this. So let's begin to dig into these verses. Look at verse 23 again. We'll read down to verse 25. And uh, it says here, again, Elijah was telling these people, he's explaining these rules, and he says, Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under And I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And ye call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one uh, one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first. 
for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. So we see here Elijah, he is explaining the rules of this contest that's going to take place between the, uh, the God of heaven and this uh, false god Baal. And this is what he says. He says, okay, look, every one of you, you go get, you just go get one ox, okay? Cut it up, lay it on the altar, and then you call on the name of your God, okay? And then, which, and I'll do the same thing. And whichever God answers us by sending down fire from heaven, that God is the one true God. Now, if you're a pagan or a false prophet in this story, then you're thinking, man, this is pretty good. We, we, got, we got a pretty good advantage here. Uh, really, in the eyes of these pagans, this was not fair, a fair fight at all. Uh, in the sense that, uh, for one, Elijah had, he was outnumbered, 850 to 1. Remember, we talked about that last week. But not, not, not only that, uh, he let the prophets of Baal take the first pick of the ox for the sacrifice, and he was letting them go first. But not only that, he also, again, as I mentioned last week, he was on the very mount where Baal worship was frequently performed. Okay? So, the, the worshippers of Baal, in a sense, had really great home field advantage in this contest. And not only that, they also believed that Baal could control thunder. They believed that he could control lightning. They believed that he was the storm god. Uh, they believed that he could send fire down from heaven. Uh, but guess what? So did the people of God. So did Elijah. He too believed this about God. And we know that this is a biblical thing. Hold your place here in 1 Kings and go to Psalm 29. We're going to go to several places in Psalms as it speaks to what we're looking at uh, tonight. The Baal worshippers believe their God uh, to be able to control the weather and all these things, but uh, so do the people of God. And look at Psalm 23, or 29, I'm sorry. Psalm 29, look at verse 3. It says in verse 3, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve and discovereth the forest. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. Listen, the voice of the Lord can do many things. Hey, you know it was the voice of the Lord that spoke everything into existence. And by the way, it's the voice of the Lord that can do anything on this earth. You know God can do anything? Just by, by his, what, with the thought, but with the spoken word. And guess what? One day, the word of the Lord is going to uh, cause the whole earth to melt with a fervent heat. So, again, this is, that verse, that passage in Psalm 29, just speaks to the awesome power of God. Okay? So with each party believing their God, being able to control the weather, uh, and bring fire down from heaven, this would, in this sense, be a, a fair fight between these two gods to find out who is the true God. Now, this contest really was about which God could answer prayer. It was about which God was the real God. And again, as the rules have been explained, both sides agreed to it, and it was time for the Baal worshippers to call on their God. Okay, let's look at verse 26 in 1 Kings 18 again. Uh, again, they said in verse, uh, in verse 24, it's well spoken. Basically saying, hey, it's, that sounds good. Uh, I like these rules. I, th I think that we're going to get somewhere here. Look at verse 26. It says, 
of these Baal worshippers, and they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. You know, this really is insanity, what, what they're doing here. We, we all have probably heard that saying before, that it, the definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result? Well, that's what was happening here. Uh, what did they do? They screamed, they yelled, they cried out to Baal, uh, but guess what? There was nothing. Complete silence. There was an, act, uh, an absence of activity. So what do we do? What they do next is they leaped on the altar where the pieces of the ox laid. Do you know what that means? That means that they dance on the altar. They got up there and they started dancing. Why were they dancing? In hopes that they could get Baal's attention. <laughs> I like what Tony Morita said. He said, these people, they danced, but all they were doing was burning calories. That's true. That's all they were doing. This was pointless. And, and listen, this went on for hours. From morning... Until noon, this circus was going. I mean, if you're Elijah, you're just like, I mean, imagine Elijah. Maybe he just sat there with a cup of coffee and was like watching these guys. Right? Like, man, what's going on? What are they doing? Very entertaining. But as he watched this madness unfold for hours, he then makes some lighthearted comments and some sarcastic comments. And just to point out their folly, look at verse 27 again. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. And said, cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he's in a journey, or peradventure, he sleepeth, and must be awaked. <laughs> so after hours of silence, what's he doing? He's making fun of these people. Elijah's being mean. <laughs> and, but listen, what, in him doing this, church, understand, he was just playing on the beliefs that these people had of Baal. They believed... That Baal was at times preoccupied. Listen, sometimes Baal's busy, they thought. They thought, you know, sometimes he's out fighting wars, or sometimes he's traveling, or sometimes, like Elijah said, he's, he's talking to somebody else. So he sarcastically says here, well, you know, guys, listen, maybe Baal just can't hear you. Maybe you need to cry out a little louder for him. Maybe he's talking to somebody else. Maybe he's on a little trip, on a little journey. Maybe he's going to get some relaxation. Maybe he's asleep and he needs to be woken up. And of course, you can imagine the humor. But you know, it's funny that these remarks and the common beliefs that Baal's own worshippers had of him really draws attention to the fact that the God of heaven is just the opposite. You know, God is so much more superior than even a fake God that these people made up in their own minds. And you say, well, why is that? Well, this is why. Because God, He never sleeps and understands He can always be reached. Let's take, again, hold your place there and go to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. Unlike Baal, God never sleeps. And He can always be reached. Look at Psalm 121, and we'll look at verse 3. Psalm 121, start with verse 3 there. It says, it says of God, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. 
So God never sleeps. He's never away. He's never gone. And listen, this, this should be an encouragement to every one of us to know that we can reach God at all times. Listen, you, if you are going through some crisis, you can reach God at that moment. If you're up at midnight and you're, you're just you're full of doubts and you're full of fears and you're full of anxiety or whatever it is, you can go to God at any time, in any hour, and you can know that He can be reached. Unlike Baal. He is omnipresent. And he's, he's everywhere all the time. He's always able to be reached, but not Baal. So Elijah sarcastically points out the, the folly. And these prophets, they were getting nervous. They knew they had to step up their game. Look back again at 1 Kings 18. And look at verse 28. It says of these prophets, And they cried aloud and cut themselves at their, their manner with knives and uh, lancets. Till the blood gushed out upon them, and it came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. Again, you talk about insanity. This is when things are really getting insane here. These false prophets, they take desperate and extreme measures, and they begin cutting themselves. Now this was uh, a normal thing for pagans to do uh, as a sign of mourning and a sign of distress, okay? But again, why did they do this? The same reason they jumped on the altar and started dancing, because they were trying to get Baal's attention. Can you imagine hurting yourself and, and doing what these people did in order to get the attention of your God? And again, contrast it with our God. We just have to cry out to God. We don't even have to be loud. We can cry out in our own in our own heart, in our own minds, and he's there. And yet, these people, again, went to extreme measures. They were cutting themselves and, and, and acting crazy. They were acting like demon-possessed people, and yet, there was still nothing. And the failure of Baal to respond clearly illustrates the truth of the, the psalmist statement in Psalm 135, a verse that I've brought you to recently, as it says, of idols, they have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. And neither is there any breath in their mouths. These, these prophets, they really kind of, they, they kind of remind me of like a little kid that plays with a stick pretending it's a phone. Right? The Baal worshippers, though, they never had any real connection. Because again, Baal, he was not on the other line because he did not exist in the first place. But... Really, we know from that that there's no, there'd be no chance of anything happening. So they were doing all of this stuff, and there was all this hoopla for nothing. But you know, sadly, church, there's many people that live their lives just like that today. And it's sad. You, you think of people that, that pray to Buddha. You think of people that pray to Allah. You think of people that even pray to Mary. And they do it all for nothing. Again, like what Tony Marita also say, he said he made a great point when he was speaking to the folly of many false religions today. And this is what he said. He said, you can pray nine times a day and you can face any direction you want. You can be dressed in religious garb. You can have incense and candles and more. But if you're not praying to the God of Elijah, you're engaging in spiritual futility. Amen. Listen, none of us here should be praying to anybody except for the God of heaven. You don't need a saint to get to God. Hey, listen, you don't need me to get to God. 
You don't even need Jesus' earthly mother to get to God. What's the Bible say? We have one, one mediator between God and man. And who is it? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. But anyway, now that the, the Baal worshippers little circus was over, it was Elijah's turn. Look at verse 30. 1 Kings 18. It says in verse 30, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. I mentioned this last week, but remember... The Baal worshippers tore down the altar of God. Remember that? They tore down the altar of God so that they could worship their false god, Baal. So Elijah had to build it back up. He takes these 12 stones, which as it says, signifies the 12 tribes of Israel, which uh, we already know from earlier in 1 Kings that they have been split, but they're still, uh, they're still uh, the tribes of Israel. And then Elijah takes a step that's not performed by the followers of Baal. This was an action church that would, would unequivocally establish the undeniable truth that the God of heaven was the true God, and he was the sole deity. Look at verse 33. What did he do? He put the wood in order, cut the bullock in pieces, laid him on the wood, and said, Fill four barrels with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice, and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar and filled the trench also with water. Listen, Elijah knew what was about to happen. So he made sure to add an extra layer of astonishment to what was about to happen. He had people fill up all these barrels of water, these four barrels, and dump it on the ox, dump it on the wood. And he said, do it again. And they did it again. He said, do it another time. They did it another time. And this trench that he dug... It was also filled with water, so everything's soaked, and it's all wet. And look, the likelihood of a fire starting now is pretty low at this point, wasn't it? Well, look at verse 36. It says, And it came to pass, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near, and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that Thou art the Lord God, and that Thou hast turned their heart back again. Elijah, he begins a short prayer to God, and as he does, I think it's really interesting how he begins by, for one, giving glory to God, which, by the way, is a great thing to do in your prayers, to give honor and glory and praise God. But not only that, he also begs God to open the eyes of these people. He says, listen, let, let people clearly see that you are the one true God. Let these people see uh, that you are real. Turn their hearts back to you. He was praying for the salvation of these people. He was begging God to use what was about to happen before these people's eyes to cause them to have faith in the living God. And guess what, church? God would indeed answer this short prayer with a very mighty act that would bring all of these people down on their knees. Look at verse 38. 
Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Man, it's crazy. <laughs> we know, as I mentioned before, that fire often symbolizes the presence of God, doesn't it? All through the Bible, you see it with the burning bush as God interacted with Moses. You see the pillar of fire that led the Israelites uh, while they were in the wilderness. And I think of the fire that consumed the, all, the offering uh, on the altar uh, in the temple as, as Solomon did that dedication prayer to God. And now we see this to be true right here. God sent down fire from heaven. And what happened? Completely consumed the ox. Not just the ox, it completely consumed the wood, it consumed the stones, it consumed the water, it consumed everything. This fire was so hot and the presence of God is so fierce that it says that it licked up the water. This was intense. It's amazing. It was gone. And as I often say, when God does something, He does it very well, doesn't He? I find it interesting though that the prophets of Baal, they, they prayed and they cried out for hours and again with no results. And what do we see here? Elijah prayed for maybe 30 seconds and look what happens. But God had indeed proved that he was the one true God. And again, the book of Psalms speaks to this and, and the words of Psalm 86 ring true. Again, hold your place in 1 Kings and go to Psalm 86. Psalm 86. And David, who's very... Close to the Lord, he wrote this. And look at Psalm 86, verse 8. Look at verse 8 here. It says, Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord. Neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great, and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Hey, look, church, everybody in Israel that was on that mountain on that day, they saw this to be true, and it would bring them to their knees in awe of the one true God. Look at verse 39 of 1 Kings 18 again. Verse 39. It says, And when, they all, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And they said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, and let not one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. So the realization of the, the truth of God and the people's response here, you know, it kind of reminds me of what's going to happen one day for all those that reject Christ here on earth. You know, there's a lot of people. They will deny the fact that there's a God up and down all the time. And, but one day, one day, according to Philippians 2, they're going to see the glory of Christ. And they're going to see Him in all His majesty. And they're going to see Him on His throne. And you know what's going to happen when they see that? The Bible tells us that every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that He is Lord. And He proved it here. And he's going to prove it for all to see in the coming days. And as God made himself real to the people in this day, we see that, that Elijah purges the land, doesn't he? He takes all those false prophets, he brings them to the river, and they face their judgment and they're killed. 
Now, in, in doing this, some people may be like, well, man, was that really necessary? It absolutely was necessary because that's what God decreed would happen and needed to happen. Deuteronomy chapter 13, we, we know uh, that Elijah was only acting in accordance to God's word because the Bible tells in Deuteronomy 13 that uh, the people, if, they, if there are people that are leading people into idolatry, they need to be put to death. So this judgment was indeed God-ordained. And let me say this, church, this act... This judgment was an act of grace on the Israelites. It was. Because this would help them not be steered in the wrong direction. It would, it would help the people not to be uh, as apt to be uh, led down to the path of idolatry. And we know that everything that God instructs, everything that God does, serves a purpose. And so did this. Now I want you to consider tonight as we, we look at this miracle, a really incredible miracle on Mount Carmel. There are several things to consider tonight. For one, if you're a child of God, I want to encourage you tonight to rejoice in the truth that there is no God like the one true God. You know, you ought to be thankful for that. That ought to make you a little bit happy. (laughs) You should have joy knowing that, that you serve the one true God. And knowing that there's no idol that compares to Him. And knowing that, that God alone is worthy of all glory. And knowing that only He is holy. And only He is perfect. And only He is just. And only He is pure. And knowing that only He is worthy of our worship. Let's go to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. And look at, we'll start with verse 8 and we'll read down to the end of the chapter here. Revelation 4, look at verse 8. It says in Revelation 4, verse 8, this is John's vision, of course, we know, of heaven and what's to come. Verse 8 says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Let me just stop there for a moment. Again, that speaks to the holiness of God, the perfectness, the the perfection of God, the fact that He is set apart from all else. And and they're saying here uh, that He is, He always was, always will be, no beginning, no ending. He's eternal. Look at verse 9. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to Him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever, and cast our crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. I always like to point out, before moving on, that you know, a lot of people they wonder, well, what's my purpose in life? What am I supposed to do with my life? Why am I here? Revelation 4.11 tells you why you're here. You are here to bring honor and glory to God. That's why you're here. But we know from that passage, church, that only God is worthy of worship. It is only He that could do those mighty acts that we read about on the altar here in 1 Kings chapter 18. We know that it is only He that is almighty. He alone always was and always will be. Only He is worthy of our praise and our, our, our honor. And only He is worthy of being thanked. Only He is set apart above all others. And you cannot say that about any other God. And by the way, you cannot say that about an idol that maybe you've been holding on to tonight. So church, 
I encourage you to rejoice in the truth of our great God. Hey, you know what? Did you know that it is only by the grace of God that you are even sitting in this church tonight? It is only by the grace of God that you are even saved. I was thinking about this earlier. It's only by the grace of God that you're not living for a false God right now. That's only by the grace of God. It is only by the grace of God that you're not doing what I mentioned earlier earlier and worshiping Buddha. It's only by the grace of God that you're not worshiping Muhammad and that you're not praying to Mary. It's only by the grace of God that you are saved at all. So let me encourage you, be careful when you start looking at people on the news and you start thinking yourself to be better than them because it's only by the grace of God that you're saved and they're not. I'll also say this. It's only by the grace of God that you're not living your, if you're a Christian, it's only by the grace of God that you're not living your life in pursuit of fulfillment and things that only, only are going to cause you to come up empty. It's only by His grace. So church, rejoice and thank God that you are saved. You ought to be thankful. You ought to be joyful that you have the true God. You have the true God. Now, I want to encourage you also not to only rejoice in it and be thankful by it, but church, we ought to all allow the truth of God to change how we live our lives. You know, the holiness and the magnitude of God and His power, it changes the way we live. If we believe God to be who He says He is, it will alter our life in every single way. The truth of God, they saw the fire come down And consume all that. And guess what? Uh, It brought them to their knees. It brought those Israelites to their knees and worship to God because of what they saw. And church, look, the truth of God should cause our hearts to bow down and worship to Him every single day. Consider tonight, are you actively and daily bowing your heart down in worship to our great God? One pastor rightfully said that ultimately we become like what we worship. Now think about this as I, as I read this. We become like what we worship. What do you worship? He goes on and he says, if we worship money, we become materialistic. If we worship power and prestige, we become cold and calloused. If we worship an idol, we become spiritually dead and lifeless as a stone. On the other hand, if we worship Christ, we will be conformed to His image. If He is our ever-increasing preoccupation, then we are continually being transformed into His image by the Holy Spirit. So church, rejoice in the truth of God, but also be changed by it. Have a a, a heart of reverence and adoration for the one true God. You know the gospel, and the truth of God in the gospel, it absolutely changes how we live. Listen, the gospel does not only change us, it does not only give us eternal life, it changes our life completely. And if there's anybody that says that they're saved and they have not changed at all, something's wrong. Something's amiss. But it changes how we live. The gospel, you consider different practical ways that this is true. The gospel, of course, is God's grace on me, so guess what? I can show grace to other people. The gospel is God's love revealed to me. He loved me, right? So guess what? Because He loved me, I am able to live for Him and love Him too. The gospel teaches us of the holiness of God and therefore it teaches us the importance of living a holy life before Him. 
We need to understand that the gospel does not only change our eternal destination, it changes the way we live here on earth. It transforms us into a new creature in Christ. And if you're saved, you're a living testimony of that, and you know that. So continue uh, in the gospel. And really, if this story teaches us anything, it definitely shows us the emptiness of false religion, doesn't it? Uh, it shows us the power of the living God. It shows us the power of God and how meaningless all other gods are. And I'm not going to harp on this, but we already talked about this last week. It's pointless to continue following after idols. So don't do it. Flee from idols. Run to God and again, rejoice in God and be changed by Him daily. Pursue Christ daily. But I also want to draw attention to another thing. Let's go back to 1 Kings 18. And I already read this verse, but I want to read it again. I, I, I kind of mentioned this a little bit, but I want to see this again. Look at 1 Kings 18. I want you to notice Elijah's prayer again. Look what he said. In verse 36 of 1 Kings 18, it says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. This right here, church, that should challenge us to continually pray for lost souls to turn to Christ. In Elijah's prayer, again, his main focus was for the Israelites to turn back to God in belief. Use this to, to prove that you are God. Make these people believe. He, he, he was praying for this, for their heart to be changed. I was challenged and I was moved by something I read from C.S. Lewis. He said, I have a list of names in my prayers. Those for whose conversions I pray and those whose conversions I give thanks. He said the little trickle of transfers from list A to list B is a great comfort. And think about that. Are you and I consistently and daily praying for the conversion of lost souls? I guess that means time to be done. <laughs> think about that <laughs> but really consider that are you consistently and daily praying for the conversion of lost souls are you begging God as Elijah did that the spiritually blind would have the faith to see are you praying that those who have their hearts turned from God would turn to Christ that the hearts of stone would become soft as clay I know there are many people in our church and I'm sure there's people that I don't even know about. There are people that you have a loved one, somebody maybe that you have been praying for, and you desire God to just break their heart. Listen, don't stop praying for them. Continue to pray for them because you don't know what God can do. God can absolutely use your prayers. The, the, we know that the prayers of God's children move the hands of God. So we need to pray fervently for the conversion of of sinners. We need to pray compassionately just as Elijah did for the souls of men. And lastly, in this event on Mount Carmel, God proved himself to be real. And you know what he did as he did this? He crushed Satan and he crushed Baal. He crushed that false God. And look, if you're unsaved this evening, you need to understand something. 
Something so much greater has occurred than what we even see here on 1 Kings 18. You may say, man, this is a great miracle. I wish I could witness this. I mean, can you just imagine fire falling from heaven and doing what uh, the Israelites saw God do? That would be amazing. But listen, we have something even greater. We have a Savior named Jesus Christ that came to earth and lived a perfect and sinless life that bled and died on the cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God in spite of our sinful nature. This holy God, in His love, sent Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, to take the wrath that we deserve. And after He died, Christ rose from the grave three days later, and in doing so, He proved that His sacrifice for our sins was sufficient. It was enough. And in doing that... He crushed the enemies, which was Satan, death, and sin, just as God crushed that God, Baal, in 1 Kings 18. Hey, listen, because of Christ, as He died and He rose again, we know that He is victorious overall. And you know, Elijah, he was a great prophet, wasn't he? He was a good prophet, for sure. But Jesus Christ was and is the ultimate prophet. He is the ultimate mediator. He is the ultimate victor that showed us once and for all who the real God is. So just as the prophets of Baal, again, rejected truth, the truth of God, and they faced that grave judgment. I already mentioned this, but I want to remind you that all that reject Christ will indeed face an even greater judgment. And as mentioned in Scripture, you know, fire usually symbolizes God's presence. But know this very clearly tonight. In hell...